Anyway, let's get into the politics and we'll have a little breather from the situation with the All Blacks. We know we have a surge with COVID right now. Uh, the seven-day rolling average is just under 10,000. The seven-day rolling average of deaths, I mean, how bleak is this, uh, is 20. Rod Jackson said in a bad flu season, and Rod Jackson, epidemiologist, um, in a bad flu season, there's about 500 deaths a year. So in under a month, we will have had as many deaths with COVID-19 as there is in a year from the flu and nearly double a year's road toll. Yes, we want to pretend that it's not here anymore. And yes, you want to get on with life. And, and we all do. And we, we want to live happy, unrestricted lives. Um, but right now we're in the middle of winter and it's pretty serious. So joining us now is another epidemiologist, professor and epidemiologist from Otago Uni. Once again, hugely appreciate your time. Michael Baker, how are you doing this afternoon? Yeah, kia ora, Tim. Kia ora. So let's have a look at this. What more could the government do to curb the COVID resurgence that we're seeing right now? Well, I think we've heard what the big three are, and probably everyone is sick of hearing about them, but they are still the basics, and that is getting vaccination boosters, and that's for COVID-19 and obviously influenza as well. Uh, paying uh, attention if you if you have any symptoms at all, isolate at home, don't go out and infect people. And the third big one is uh, having a barrier between you and uh, other people you're meeting in indoor environments, and that's really around masking and also ventilation. It, it's weird for me, and I don't know what um, your reaction has been, but I feel that the casualness with mask use has coincided with the surge. That, that if you asked me a month ago whether I thought people were casual about masks, I would have said no. I mean, you go to uh, malls, everyone was wearing them that I saw a month ago, in supermarkets, absolutely. Then we started to surge, and if anything we have gotten more casual with masks. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, that's the impression. But actually, um, you know, we should have ways of measuring this because we know what we're doing with vaccine coverage. Uh, we know we've got very good surveillance of the um, different uh, variants arriving in New Zealand and circulating. We know very little about what the population is actually doing in response. So things like uh, these two fundamentals of um, isolating when you're sick and mask wearing, we have no ongoing surveillance data about them. So I think that's a bit of a gap. And really, uh, our own um, personal impressions and anecdotes are useful, but it's not really telling us what, what's actually happening. What do we know about how long one mask is useful for? As in, my wife and I have got a, a box of N95 masks, which, which for a start, they seem like they're so much better than the flimsy ones. I, I hope they are. Um, from what I've read, they are. And they're also more comfortable, I find. And um, and so I have one that sort of lives in the, a different one for every jeans and pair of shorts that I wear. <laughs> but um, how how soon before I should start throwing them out and get new ones? Yeah, well, it sounds like you've really got this figured out. That sounds like a very good routine. And the masks, um, as long as they're still um, fitting well, the elastic's not sagging, uh, and the, the breathing seems comfortable, you can keep wearing them for many, on many occasions. I mean, people sometimes talked about, uh, you know, five, six, seven days, but even longer if they're still working okay. 
Now, what about CO2 readers in bars and restaurants? This is something which countries like Japan are doing. Uh, there was an article a couple of days ago where there was an experiment done of, of a CO2 reading in, say, a, a crowded bar, um, a less crowded large bar, a tiny bar that's crowded and just getting all the different CO2 readings, and that you could have a box that is there which, which gives you information. Is that the path we should be heading down? Yeah, that's again um, back to what we we're talking about about measuring things. And one of the problems, as we all know, with um, uh, a virus is you can't see it, and you only see the consequences days later, and you're not even sure where you got it from or whether you've infected other people. And that I think is one of the difficulties. Uh, in many ways, it's um, the the thinking or consciousness about indoor air is a bit like having clean water, which was a revolution a century ago, and then the idea of clean food. And now we're thinking about clean air. And the realisation that actually living and sharing and rebreathing the air from other people is normally something we're not, we're pretty oblivious to, fortunately. But um, now we have to be much more conscious of it because that air can contain these viral particles. And this is how, this is why this virus is very much adapted for how we live in the modern age and why it's succeeding so well is it, it's transmitted in that aer- aerosol. And so we talk about the three C's of uh, confined, so it's poorly ventilated, close contact, and crowded. And all of those, if, you, if you've got those three C's or even one of them, you could have a problem. But all three, uh, unfortunately, that's what a lot of us were doing last night after the, the game. We were packed into bars. And so... That, and taking a mask off, of course, to have a drink. But that is the environment this virus loves. So what about the conversations along the lines of mandating mask use indoors? Where do you stand on that? Well, it's about shifting behaviour. So if we already have an established mask-using culture, a bit like you know Japan and South Korea and Singapore, there'd be no reason to mandate it because people just do it. They do it instinctively. It's a bit like, you know, hopefully most of us now cough into our elbow into a, into a tissue, but we don't like cough into the faces of the people in front of us, hopefully. <laughs> but it seems like basic courtesy. Well, in those societies, you just wear a mask, and that's considered uh, just the, no, the social norm. Now, I don't know the best way of shifting our social norm while we've been in the middle of a pandemic, but we have to shift it somehow. And many people are saying the only thing that will shift it is making it um, a man- having a mandate for, for some indoor environments. Would that be the sort of thing, though, that, that it, it's temporary, that, that we can see that countries around the world, if you look at their COVID graphs, that, that you have a rise and then you have a fall. And at the moment, we're, we're in that upward trajectory. But won't that just come down again in spring, by which point you wouldn't have to have it mandated? Yeah, look, I think we have to keep responding to what the the risk is, the threat is doing. And uh, at the moment, uh, you know, winter is pretty tough anyway uh, in temperate countries like New Zealand because that's when these viruses can spread more easily because of the way we socialise and mix. So now is the time to be basically switching to uh, mask use all the time in indoor environments. And uh, we're not doing it uh, quite clearly. So... Uh, that's a problem, and we have to think how do we change that behaviour very quickly. And I do think having at least a mandate in schools would be useful because there's so much mixing and virus transmission in that environment, and the kids take the virus home. 
you know what would be interesting is if we had research comparing schools which have the, the quote-unquote modern learning environments versus schools which have the old-fashioned class of 30. Because isn't it conceivable, and this applies to open plan offices too, isn't it conceivable that if you're going to work or school in an open plan environment with a high stud ceiling and not so many walls, uh, that you are less likely to be getting COVID as frequently as someone who's in a small office or in a small classroom? Yeah, look, I agree with you. I mean, you know, my daughter's in, a, in, in one of the modern learning environments, and it's quite amazing when you're in there, and there's 100 kids running around, and it's still relatively crowded, and, of course, they get very close to each other, and they share all the viruses. So, yes, I think schools are one of the environments that our families are being connected through, uh, because a lot of us, of course, are increasingly working from home, We've got the luxury of being able to work remotely a lot of the time, but kids aren't doing that. And of course, some, some many workers, of course, have to go to their place of work. Uh, so uh, hopefully the employers are taking more responsibility with things like ventilation and providing good quality masks. But at schools, they're really all over the place. Um, individual teachers or, or boards of trustees or head teachers, heads of school are making those decisions on individual um, on a week-to-week basis. And I, I just think we can do better than that. What about boosters? So that, that we're still in a situation that people who want boosters can't necessarily get them unless they qualify. How long do you think that's likely to be the case? Well, uh, at the moment, I think it's down to 50 years of age, which is um, pretty reasonable by uh, international standards. Uh, I think we ultimately could go lower um, the remembering that uh, still a third of adults haven't even had their third dose. I'm not even calling that a booster because it looks like you need three injections of the vaccine to give you your primary course with Omicron. Two is okay for Delta, but you need that third dose. So we still got a big gap in uh, vaccination, even for that third dose. And again, the same for our, our children aged five to 11. We still uh, um, have low um, vaccination coverage in that group. So we've got big gaps at the moment. Optimism. I've frequently asked you, you know, at the end of these chats that we're always so grateful for, that that is there something through the bleakness in the middle of winter when it's raining most of the time, except for right now, um, that, that is there anything that's giving you optimism as we battle the third year of this awful thing? <laughs> I know. Uh, it's very frustrating. We all want it to go away. I think on the horizon, I mean, one of the things that I think is really innovative is we're now getting really effective antivirals and they do make a huge difference and they are available for older people and those with, with uh, who are immune compromised. They make a huge difference. If you take these tablets, uh, when you um, get this in the early phase of your illness, it really does um, stop the virus. So that's a, a huge advance and it's just been rolled out this week for the first time widely. So that, that's a real positive and I think we will see more advances like that in the future. And the other, of course, is we're now getting better vaccines. And they're now uh, like these bivalent vaccines. They've got a component that does Omicron as well as the original virus. And that's what we've done with influenza for decades is the virus, the vaccine is reformulated every year to get ahead of the, the virus. So I think they're the really good advances on the horizon, but they're not here yet completely. 
Okay. But on the horizon. All right. Well, thank you as always. Enjoy your Sunday afternoon. That is Professor and Epidemiologist from Otago Uni, Michael Baker. We'll talk again another time.